Good morning, Central. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, for those of you in the room, a special welcome. Uh, thanks for the high five that turned into a weird hand clasp and a half a hug. It's all good. Uh, if you're out in the concourse or in Oakwood Chapel or watching us online, wherever you are this morning, we're glad you're joining us. Um, how many of you really like fall? I, I love fall because it's football weather, right? It's football season. Um, I, this is weird. I know it's strange, but I, I like being out in the yard raking leaves. Dumb, right? Um, but here's why. It's because it's, it's, it's just great temperature, um, and it allows me to be out there and listen to music and not have anyone uh, complain about any, any of the music I listen to, um, which is probably a little dangerous. Because um, do you ever find yourself like listening to this song and it's really catchy and then you find yourself kind of singing along and then you actually listen to the lyrics and you're like, oh, I should not be singing this. <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, there's this particular song um, that it essentially says what, what a lot of pop songs say. It, it, if you want something or someone bad enough, there's no sense fighting it. Right? Like our, our, our desires are too strong to overcome, so just go for it. Just do what you want. Now, now that particular song is called Want, Want, and there's a lot of songs with the word want in the title. Apparently, songwriters really know what they want. Here's, here's a small sample. Uh, I just want to be your everything. Girls just want to have fun. I want a new drug. I want it that way. I want you back. I want to break free. All I want is you. I want you to want me. I want you. Don't you want me? I want to come over. I want candy. I want to hold your hand. I want to know what love is. I want it all. I could go on. This brings up an important question, though. What do you want? Like, really? What, what do you truly desire? Do you ever ask yourself that? And does the answer change? Are there different categories, like short-term goals and, and long-term desires? Is what you want healthy? Is it good? What does God think about what you want? In the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul described his struggle between the things that he knew he should do, he wanted to please God, uh, and the things that he actually did. So part of him really wanted to be obedient. The other part, his flesh, wanted to do just the opposite. And so what did Paul really want? Can you relate? In the words of the Spice Girls, tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Now, we're in the middle of a series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, and we're doing a life group series on the same topic. Uh, and so the, the sermon series is called Extraordinary, and this is week 13 of Extraordinary. Life group series is called Heart of the Matter. We're in week three of that if you're keeping score at home or if you care at all. Um, the last few weeks, Jeff has been talking about how Jesus came to fulfill the law. Now, there were like 613 laws and commands on the books in Jesus' time. And so Jesus focused not on the letter of the law, but on the heart of the law. 
Now, most of us are, are probably somewhat familiar with the Ten Commandments. You can probably recite a couple of them. Uh, and in last week's passage, Jesus covered commandment number six, do not murder. So the letter of the law, don't kill anybody, right? Uh, but the heart of the law, the root of murder is anger. Anger is dangerous because it, it damages relationships. It's really hard to obey the great commandment to love God with everything you've got and to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself if you're harboring anger in your heart. Now this week, in this passage, Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, Jesus actually addresses two of the Ten Commandments. Let's stand and read this passage together this morning. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Okay, that's clear. Seems pretty simple, right? Thanks, Jesus. We can close in prayer and go home. No, go ahead and have a seat. Now, I, I did college ministry for a long time, and, and I've volunteered in Student Central for like 10 years now. And so uh, I've talked about sexual integrity and lust and all sorts of things like that uh, in those contexts, mostly with, with teens and young adults. Uh, and I have recited all kinds of verses, uh, 2 Corinthians 10.5, take every thought captive, Romans 12.1, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has seen you, or seized you except that which is common to man. I've been armed with charts contrasting love and lust. Uh, I, I've had stats on pornography about how it dehumanizes people, and on and on and on. In these messages, I've been very blunt and open and direct about pornography and sex and all kinds of things. And so uh, here's the issue. I've never addressed this topic in a broader church audience like this morning. And so this could be a little bit tricky for me, partly because I'm used to being very candid, and, and some folks might not appreciate that, um, also, because I'm used to speaking to an audience who's right in the midst of this battle. They can relate to it. And, and some of you uh, might not really feel like you're, you're able to. And so I want to ask two things of you this morning. First of all, if I say something that you find offensive or inappropriate, I would love to hear from you. Go ahead and, and leave a comment um, and put it in the offering box. But please, don't do it anonymously Please put your name down if you're going to say something about something that you, you found offensive. Because I want to be able to address it. I want to talk about your specific concerns. And doing it anonymously doesn't allow that to happen. Also, if you feel like you may be in the boat where like, what am I even doing here? This does not apply to me. I would really ask that you just be open 
and see what it is that the Lord is trying to speak to you today about this. I'm going to try to be faithful to Scripture. I I want you to be able to dig into the Scriptures for yourself uh, this week. Uh, And and then if we we still uh, got problems, uh, let's talk about it, okay? Uh, Because for the next few minutes, we're going to examine what God says about our priorities, our hearts, our desires, what we really, really want. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier, Jesus addresses two of the Ten Commandments in this passage. It's not evident on the surface. The first one is is obvious. The seventh commandment, do not commit adultery. That seems pretty cut and dry. So the letter of the law is adultery. Sex between a married person and someone who is not their spouse. But most readings of Scripture would interpret this to, to prohibit any sex outside of marriage, uh, so, so including fornication, so technically, so we're not splitting hairs here. Uh, Jesus is agreeing with the seventh commandment. But he's also illustrating that, that the heart of the law is actually found in the tenth commandment. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Because the word covet means to have inordinate desire for something that doesn't belong to you. And in both the the Old Testament and the New Testament, the word for covet is sometimes translated desire or lust after. And so lust is usually sexual in nature, but not always. We can lust after, desire lots of different things. Now, now while uh, admittedly Jesus was speaking to a, a large crowd uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, I think he's specifically talking to rule followers here in this passage, the self-righteous people who, who really want to justify themselves by saying, hey, I didn't have sex until my wedding night, and uh, I have never cheated on my wife, so when it comes to sexual integrity, I'm good. And Jesus says, not so fast, my friend. Let's look at your heart. Now, I want to pause and explore what Jesus is not saying in this passage. First of all, he's not saying that sex is bad. Jesus is not anti Sex, not at all. Sex is a gift from God, not just for making tiny little humans, but it's, for, it's given to us for our enjoyment. And on a theological level, it's an allegory between the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. If you think God is some kind of a, a sexual killjoy, uh, you haven't read the Song of Solomon. That's an entire book of the Bible dedicated to celebrating sexual intimacy. It's a good read. Watch now, every 16-year-old dude is going to be like, yeah, I just had uh, my quiet time in Song of Solomon for the 30th day in a row. (laughs) So Jesus isn't saying that sex is bad. He's saying that we've distorted it. We've misused it. He's also not saying that physical attraction is bad. He's not banning it. He's not saying it's evil to notice Beauty. 
So verse 28 doesn't say that recognizing that, that Paul Cowan is a good-looking dude means that you've committed a heinous sin. It just means you have eyes. Now, Jesus is calling out a situation specifically where you look at a woman to lust after her or, or with lustful intent, which suggests the deliberate harboring of desire for an illicit relationship. And what he's getting at here is an important concept. It's not just your behavior that's important, but your desires, what you really want. We'll get back to that point in just a minute. Now, Jesus also isn't saying that lust is somebody else's fault. For centuries, Jewish culture expected married women to wear head coverings uh, to prevent men from lusting. And this happens still today in some cultures. You maybe uh, heard about it in the news. Uh, In September, a 22-year-old Kurdish woman traveled to Tehran, the capital of Iran, uh, and she was apparently wearing her headscarf too loosely. So she was arrested by the morality police, which is a thing, and, and taken into custody, into a detention center to be educated where she collapsed, and then after three days in a coma, she died. And the police said she had a heart attack, but it's, it's pretty obvious that she was beaten to death. Now, this is an extreme example, but, but certain cultures view women as dangerous because they cause men to be tempted. But Jesus placed the responsibility for lust on the person doing the lusting. Now, should we all walk around wearing bikinis? No, please do not do that. Especially you, Lazarus. No one needs to see that. What I am saying is that you can't blame others for your own sin. Finally, verse uh, 29 and 30, Jesus doesn't literally mean to gouge out your eye or cut off your hand if you sin. If we took that literally, we'd have a church full of pirates, all eye patches and hooks for hands. Are ye washed in the blood of the lamb? No, Jesus is using hyperbole, exaggeration to make a point. His point is, we need to take sin seriously. And sometimes we need to to go to great lengths to take drastic measures to battle it. Now, I'm not talking about 90s youth group tricks where you wear a rubber band around your wrist and you snap it every time you have a lustful thought. That's not really all that helpful. I, I think Jesus means taking measures that will actually make your life a whole lot less convenient. Like if your smartphone's primary function is to let you watch pornography, get rid of it. Pretend it's 20 years ago and get yourself a flip phone. I I knew a guy a while ago who traveled a lot and he spent a lot of time in hotels and he knew that he was tempted to watch X-rated movies while he was on the road. And so at each each hotel he was at, he would have the staff completely remove the TV from his room. That's the measures that he took. And so we need to identify the places, the situations, the venues, the media that can create a hard environment for lust to thrive, and we need to get rid of them. Cancel that subscription. Delete that app. 
Go to counseling. Get some accountability partners. Do what it takes to set yourself up for success in the area of sexual integrity, no matter the inconvenience or the hassle. I think the Apostle Paul would agree with Jesus. He says, uh, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Now, these measures that I'm talking about are sometimes necessary. But at the end of the day, they're merely behavior modification. They don't change your heart. They don't change your desires. One of the most misunderstood and misused passages in Scripture is Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people read that, and they go, oh, I just have to obey God, and then he'll give me everything I want. That's not what it means. The Hebrew word translated here, take delight in, or delight yourself in, means to be soft, to be pliable. It's similar to the passage in Ezekiel that we covered a couple weeks ago where God says, I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When we're tender-hearted toward the Lord, when we pursue him, when we seek him, when we're responsive to him, he places new desires in our heart. He changes our priorities, our passions. He changes what we really, really want. And when our desires line up with God's desires, when Jesus becomes more beautiful than any other cheap substitute, that's when we see real life change. We see a life of joy and peace and purpose. I love what C.S. Lewis says about our desires. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, a big contributor to sin is just dissatisfaction with life. And the power of lust, the allure that comes with it is this promise, this false promise that it can fulfill us, that it can give us what we want, it can make us happy, or at least it can distract us from whatever we're struggling with in life, boredom or pain or anxiety or depression or whatever it is we're trying to escape from. We find solace in that. But in order to keep from giving in to sin, lust pleasures have to be replaced by something better. This week I was reading a devotional by a guy named Ted Moon, and he, he wrote about a couple of famous stories uh, in Greek mythology involving the sirens. Now, sirens were enchantresses uh, who were half woman, half bird. And they would lure ships to their island uh, by their singing. Their singing was so enchanting, so hypnotic, that sailors would hear it and they'd steer their ships toward the island and they would crash into the rocks and die. 
Happened time and time again. Now, two captains sailed safely past the island of Sirens, but they used uh, very different methods. One captain, Odysseus, decided to put wax in the ears of his crew so they wouldn't be able to hear the siren singing. But Odysseus really wanted to hear the siren song for himself. And so before the, the wax thing, he had his sailors tie him to the mast. You see the picture right up here. And he told them, no matter what, don't untie the ropes until we're past the island. When Odysseus heard the sirens, he, of course, was mesmerized. And their, their songs made it so that he wanted to break free of the mast and, and jump into the water to go to the island. Uh, but his temporarily deafened crew wouldn't untie him. And they made it safely past the island of sirens, avoiding catastrophe. A second crew... Jason and the Argonauts took a very different approach. Jason hired a musician named Orpheus to travel with him. There's Orpheus. Orpheus played the lute so well that as he played, everyone within earshot would only hear his music. And so as Jason's ship approached the island of sirens, he assembled his crew on deck and Orpheus began playing his enchanting music. And the siren songs were completely ignored because Jason and the Argonauts were captivated by the beautiful music of Orpheus. They were listening to something better. Now, in case you missed the analogy, uh, this is a picture of different approaches to sin. Some Christians take no precautions at all. They act just like the world acts, and they end up crashing their ship into the rocks. Other believers, you know, they tend to flirt with temptation. They really want to experience the pleasure, but not the consequences of sin. And so uh, they will bind themselves to legalism, to following the rules, and they end up frustrated and feeling hypocritical, feeling like they're pulled in two different directions. They might end up safe on the other side, but their journey is miserable. Others try to deafen themselves to temptation by shutting out the world entirely completely unaware of what's going on around them, both good and bad. They live in a bubble. But where's the joy in that? The goal of the Christian life isn't just to be safe. is isn't just to survive our time on earth until we get to heaven. However, other Christians are like Jason, and they realize that the siren song of sin no longer captivates them because they have heard a sweeter song. They experience life with Jesus, and in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. They can honestly say, all that I adore is in you. Following Jesus, being holy, is not a duty for them, but a delight. Their relationship with God is more exciting, more satisfying than anything the world could offer. It's like listening to the sweetest music they've ever heard. 
Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. Now listen to this. He will rejoice over you with singing. Have you heard his song? Yes, Jesus calls us to a life of service and sacrifice and sometimes suffering. But he doesn't call us to a life of boredom or bondage. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He wants our lives to be meaningful, joyful, and beautiful. Is that what you want? Okay, honestly, uh, when preparing this sermon this week, I had way too much material. I, I had like 20 Bible verses. Uh, I planned on looking at the life of King David, his, his struggle with sin and his repentance and, and reconciliation with God. Like any typical sermon, I had a three-point outline using alliteration. All the, all the words started with the same letter. Uh, but the Lord stopped me on Thursday. And he, I, I feel like he just said, just share one thing that's been helpful to you. So here goes. So I grew up with parents who loved and followed Jesus, and even though I knew the basic facts of the gospel, I was not experiencing the freedom of the gospel. I was a rule-following kid who wanted to be liked, but I would try to follow the rules, but when I'd fail, I'd feel guilty and frustrated. I was trying to live a good moral life by just trying harder. When I, I got to college, out from under the eye and expectations of home, I went off the rails. To say that I gave in to temptation would be an understatement. And it wasn't until I met up with some guys from Crew, from Campus Crusade for Christ, who opened the Bible and they showed me a verse that has made all the difference. It's Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Now, other translations say, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, but this wasn't about working to earn forgiveness or to earn some like platinum status in, in God's club. It was about the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. Because I had placed my faith in Christ, from that moment on I had the source of transformation living in me. God had made his home inside of me and he wanted to have access to every room inside the house of my life. He had a plan to renovate my heart, to change me from the inside out. And if you're a follower of Jesus, that is true of you as well. The only way you can see real change in your life, the only way God can, be, God can make you who he intended is to let him change your heart. God is working in you to change your desires, to make it so you want to please him. And then... He gives you the power to do it. And this happens by faith, moment by moment, as you experience intimacy with him. 
So maybe you're here today, and things look totally fine on the surface, but, but you're hiding something. You've got stuff lurking in the shadows, and you're afraid that if anyone really knew your struggles with sin, you could never show your face around here again. You're battling lust, and you feel ashamed and alone. Proverbs 18 says, he who isolates himself pursues selfish desires. If that's you this morning, it's time. Time to come into the light, into community. It's time to let the Lord restore you, to renovate you. And maybe you're here today and you think, yeah, of course I occasionally lust, but it's no big deal. Nobody's going to get hurt and it doesn't really impact my behavior. That's probably what kings and pastors and thousands of other people thought before they ended up crashing their ships into the rocks. If that's you this morning, then it's time. It's time to take evasive action, to flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. It's time to experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. And maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you don't really struggle with sexual integrity. You don't remember the last time you lusted after another person. But maybe you're actually lusting after something else. Prestige, money, popularity, respect. Anything besides Jesus that you want with all your heart, anything that you can't stop thinking of, is an idol. If that's the case, then it's time. It's time to let God change your desires. It's time to hear the music of the gospel, that you are more sinful and flawed than you ever dared hope, but more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you ever dared hope. If any of these things describe you, then it's time. It's time to give the Holy Spirit control. Because although we come to faith in Christ one time, being filled with the Spirit is a moment-by-moment reality of living a life of repentance and faith. Would you pray with me? If any of these things I described are true of you, just pray this prayer along with me. Lord, I need you. I acknowledge that I've been directing my own life. Thanks that you've already forgiven my sin through Christ's death on the cross. Would you help me really experience that forgiveness? Help me experience freedom from the power of sin. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change my desires and empower me to live a life of faith that pleases you. Before you go this morning, I want to give you one action step. If you are struggling with sin and you don't know what to do about it, we're going to put up Roger Anderson's information on the screen here. Uh, Roger's not going to solve all your problems, but this is a good first step to take. It's a great conversation to have. So we'll leave that up so you can take a, a photo of it or write down his contact information. Roger, would he knows I'm giving this out, so don't worry about it. Roger would love to hear from you and just
begin to ask you questions that get to the heart of the matter. Now, would you stand with me and accept this blessing as you leave? This week, may you delight in the Father, commune with the Son, be responsive to the Spirit, and be a blessing to those around you. Amen. Have a great week.